Thank you for listening today. We are so honored that you would take time out of your day to check out one of our messages. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can visit us at www.burgersassembly.org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Burgers Assembly. And now, here's this week's message. with our, our series, the Power Series from the book of Philippians today, and this will be our last sermon on the power of leadership this morning. I want you to turn with me, Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. Now, didn't we have a fantastic revival? Praise the Lord. I tell you what, I, I learned all kinds of new things about the Caldwells this week and, and some new sayings. Wednesday night, some of the kids, uh, some of the teenagers were walking out of service. They were in here for service with Brother Dean this Wednesday, and, and some of them were saying, won't that knock your hat in the creek? That's what they were saying. And so they, they just learned some of that new jargon. But we had a great time uh, during our revival. I believe this, this was probably one of the, the greatest revivals that we've ever had, just as far as people coming and what God did during the revival. Are you thankful for what the Lord did? Amen. So don't let the devil lie to you and steal away anything that the Lord spoke to you during the revival. Let's keep living in it. Amen. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. As you know, uh, we took a break last week for revival, um, and so this morning we're going to continue to turn our focus back on the subject of godly leadership. Philippians 2, verse number 19, the Word of God says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state, for all seek their own not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you, know the, but you know his proven character that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Ephroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need, since he was longing for, for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on, on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I sent him the more eagerly that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem because for the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Now, as we've continued to learn from this passage of Scripture, the benefits of becoming a better and also a healthier godly leader, I believe the Lord's been speaking to us about godly leadership. And if you remember, we spoke on the very first week of this subject, and we said that every single person, regardless of what you think about yourself, that it is God's intention that you lead in some area of your life 
because God has created you for leadership. Now, there are many thoughts on how leadership should take place. There are many thoughts about people that people have about leadership. If you ask for good feedback on what valuable leadership looks like, you're certain to get all different kinds of answers from different people. As a matter of fact, for however many people that you ask, you will get that many answers on what good leadership should look like. Fred Pryor says this, The ultimate responsibility of a leader is to facilitate other people's development as well as his own. Nito Quiben says this, The leader's task then is to create an environment that is conducive to self-motivation. Two different people, two different vantage points of good leadership. Now these statements are absolutely true. They're true about what a good leader should be. They do need to be able to do these things in order to lead effectively. But more importantly, as leaders that have been impacted by Jesus, our lives must be molded by the Word of God. If you are created as a leader, and it is God's standard, the Word of God is our standard for living, then how many of you realize today that the standard of leadership should also be God's standard. So let's see what God's Word continues to tell us about healthy leaders. Number one, a healthy leader is a learner. A healthy leader is a learner. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 22 of our text says this, but you know his proven character. That as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Now the people that were reading this letter, the Philippians who were reading this letter, would understand the implications of Paul's words when he says this statement, and he's talking about Ephroditus, and he's talking about Timothy. He wrote this letter with the understanding of the culture that they were living in, and the culture that they would abide by in their life. And so he talks about Timothy being his son in the ministry. Well, sons in this culture often learned a trade or a skill by working with their father. In order for them to be able to live in the culture that they lived in, the fathers would pass down the skill or the trade that they had learned from their fathers and they had learned from their fathers and many people would continue on as a family would continue on what they learned from their fathers. Whatever trade, whatever skill was learned would then be passed down from generation to generation. In other words, Paul is saying if you're going to be a leader, you must be a learner. If you're going to lead, you must be a learner. Listen, true leaders will always be learners. If you're a godly leader, then you're going to be someone that is willing to continue to learn from someone else. Just because I, tell, I told you a few moments ago that God has called you to lead does not mean that you're going to come out of the womb with all of the leadership skills that you need. Come on, somebody. You have to learn from someone else. When I stop learning, I stop growing. 
So if you want to continue to lead as a child of God, you must continue to learn from someone else. As your pastor, I commit to you that I'm going to be a learner. That's one of the reasons why I continue to go to conferences or we go sometimes as a staff to conferences. That's one of the reasons why there are all kinds of books in, in my office because there's a lot of stuff this preacher don't know. Come on. And so I need to continue to learn. I need to continue to be a student of learning. I want to be constantly learning and growing, not only in my relationship to Jesus, but also in my personal growth as a person and as a spiritual leader. I must be willing to put myself in a place to learn from others. And so I ask you the question this morning, who have you surrounded your life with in order to learn from them to be a godly leader in whatever area that God has called you to lead in? We should want to learn from others. In the book, The Leadership Challenge, James Cousess says, perhaps more than anything else, leadership is built, is, is about the creation of a new way of life. Now that's an interesting statement. Leadership is about the creation of a new way of life. What does that mean? That means that as a child of God, if I want to continue to lead, then I must continue to learn that my life would continue to change as I learn from someone else. Does that make sense? My life needs to be continually changing. And isn't that what the Word of God challenges us to do? If you continue to follow after the Word of God, won't your life continue to change? Come on. This is a creation of a new way of life. How many of you believe God will lead us? Amen? Amen. We should want to learn from other people. How can that take place if we as a leader are not learning? You see, we must continue to learn. Paul makes a very interesting statement in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. He says this, Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come, and the books, especially the parchments. Now that's an interesting statement, isn't it? We find this, now we understand that this is a letter that was written, and he asked Timothy to bring his coat. In other words, it's cold. <laughs> I need my coat. But then he also asks him to bring the books, especially the parchments. Now, why did he say that? That's an interesting statement for him to throw in there. It's difficult for us to determine on this side, for us to determine actually what Paul is trying to mean. But it sounds like he's telling Timothy that if, you, if Timothy, if you can't bring everything, it's more important for you to bring the written materials than it is the coat. Basically, he's saying this, if, if you look at it, it could be that he's saying, I would rather have the stuff that's written, I would rather have the books and the par parchments, even though it's cold, the most important thing that you would bring to me are the parchments and the books. Since the request was made to Timothy close to the end of Paul's life, it is very possible that Paul wanted these written materials so that he could pass them on to a younger minister. It's very possible that Paul is wanting to gather his things up so that he can give them to someone else who can continue to learn. 
But if we can determine anything about that passage of Scripture, it would be this. As a leader, Paul valued learning. One thing we do understand, I want the books, I want the parchments, why? Because there's something that I want to learn, there's something in them that I need to read. And he also wanted Timothy to understand the value of learning as well. How many of you believe it's important for us to continue to learn? Say amen. Amen. Next we see this. Secondly, we see that a healthy leader is a servant. Not only will a healthy leader be someone that continues to learn, but they will also be a servant. The last part of Philippians chapter 2 verse 22 says this, He served with me in the gospel. The word served there that Paul uses in that passage of scripture literally means slave. Whoa. A healthy leader will be a servant. Now, some people have misinterpreted the word leader. So when I talk to you about leadership, some people misinterpret the word leader to believe it means boss. (laughs) Come on. Boss. He's the leader. That means he's the boss. They think that because they have a position or a title, that that makes them a leader. Have you ever known somebody like that? Because they have a title, they believe that that makes them the boss. But a true leader is someone that will be a servant. There's a story I want to read to you. It goes something like this. The man said, I went on a search to become a leader. I searched high and low. I spoke with authority. People listened. But alas, there was one who was wiser than I, and they followed that individual. I sought to inspire confidence, but the crowd responded, why should I trust you? I postured and assumed the look of leadership with a countenance that flowed with confidence and pride, But many passed me by and never noticed my air of elegance. I ran ahead of the others, pointed the way to new heights. I demonstrated that I knew the route to greatness. And then I looked back and I was alone. What shall I do? I wondered. I've tried hard and used all that I know and sat down and I pondered long. And then I listened to the voices around me. And I heard what the group was trying to accomplish. I rolled up my sleeves and I joined the work. As we worked, I asked, are we all together in what we want to do and how to get the job done? And we thought together and we fought together and we struggled towards our goal. I found myself encouraging the faint-hearted. I sought the ideas of those that were too shy to speak out. I taught those who had little skill. I praised those who worked hard. And when our task was completed, one of the group turned to me and said, This would not have been done but for your leadership. At first I said, I didn't lead. I just worked with the rest. And then I understood. Leadership is not a goal. It's a way of reaching a goal. I lead best when I help others to go where we've decided to go. 
I lead best when I help others to use themselves creatively. I lead best when I forget about myself as leader and I focus on the group and their needs and their goals. If you desire to be a godly leader, then you must be someone who is willing to serve someone else. It is not about your goals. It is about the goals of the team. It is about the goals of those around you. But if you will help other people fulfill the goals in their life and the group's goals, then guess what? You will begin to lead. Jesus' example is clear. Jesus came to the earth not to be served, but to serve. Just a few days before his crucifixion, Jesus rattled the thinking of his apostles. Jesus took the role of one of the lowest slaves and he made a decision to wash the disciples' feet. John 13 verse 12 tells us about it. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than the master nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. How many, of you, how many of you understand Jesus was saying, I'm serving you because that's how I can lead you. In order to be an example to other people, we must serve one another. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, everybody can be great because everybody can serve. He said, you don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and your verb agree to serve. You only need a heart full of grace and a soul that is generated by love. 1 Corinthians 9 and 19 then says, and I love this, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. In other words, if we take the opposite of that, how many of you realize if we agree not to serve and we agree that because our title and our position, we think that we are the leader, that we're probably winning the less. God's idea of leadership is servanthood. I think it's also important to understand that there's a difference between being an errand runner for people or being a true servant that watches out for other people's best interests. Come on. You see, when God desires for us to be a servant, it doesn't mean that we have to be stepped on in life by others to be a servant. Come on, somebody. It means that our goal is to watch out for others' best interests. And guess what? You say, well, pastor, this is all well and good. How can I serve? I'm so glad you asked. Halloween night. Come on, somebody. <laughs> See, we have an opportunity to serve. So many times, though, we pass by those opportunities. 
And we say, oh, wow, that's great. Awesome, pastor. I heard you say we have an opportunity. Go, everybody, go, everybody, go. (laughs) Instead of saying, God, where can I serve? What can I do? Let me be the first to sign up. Come on, somebody say amen. I'm so glad we're having that many signatures back there, those who said amen, amen. As leaders, we're willing to serve and help other people because that's one of the ways that we're able to reach them for Jesus. We're willing to serve because we can reach people. Mother Teresa once said, unless life is lived for others, it is not worthwhile. As a young nun, Mother Teresa developed a burning desire to work with the homeless and the hopeless. Although she was convinced of this as her calling, her superiors suggested that her youth and her inexperience would cause her to fail in this grand vision that she had. Mother Teresa was assigned instead to teach at a convent in India. But she never gave up on her dream. Mother Teresa's mission to serve others, and she was unable to, to do this, and, but she desired to serve those that were unable to meet their own needs, and it continued to burn in her heart. And finally, at the age of 39 years old, she was allowed for the first time to pursue her passion in poverty-stricken Calcutta. On her first day, that she was able to serve. She was walking down the streets of Calcutta and there she sees a man that was lying in the gutter that was so covered with disease and insects that everyone would walk well around him as he laid there in the gutter and everyone avoided him. And instead of avoiding him, Mother Teresa made a beeline and walked right to him. Mother Teresa then knelt down next to him and began to clean his infested body. He was so astounded at her caring that he said, Why are you helping me? Mother Teresa looked up and smiled and said, Because I love you. She was willing to serve in order to lead. How many of you understand her example now leaves a legacy in Calcutta and all over the world. What an example of how we should love and how we should serve the hurting. Here we go, number three. Finally, we see this. Finally, we see that a healthy leader is worthy of respect. Philippians 2 and 23 says this, Therefore, I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. Then verse 29 says, Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem. When Paul tells the Philippian believers that he hopes to send Timothy at once, what he is telling them is this. He wants these believers to treat Timothy with the same respect that they've treated him. He's basically saying this man is a leader. He's someone who who deserves respect and is worthy of respect. He's saying, I know that you've loved me. And I know that you've taken care of me as a leader. But I want you to see that the characteristics of godly leadership are found in Timothy as well. So treat him with respect. I want to tell you something as your pastor. One of the greatest ways that you can honor me as your pastor 
is to honor our staff. I mean that. If you will honor our staff and you will love our staff and you will bake them cakes and you will give, him, you will give them those nice handshakes that some of you have given me. How many knows what I'm talking about? And you will bless them from time to time when you can as God makes it aware in your spirit to bless them. If you will bless our staff, you'll bless me. Because godly leaders and godly staff members, listen, they're worthy of respect. They're worthy of respect. And not only that, but if you treat one another with honor, then you also treat me with honor. If you will love one another, then you love me. If you'll love in your neighborhood, then you'll love me. Come on. See, if you want to honor those that you serve underneath that you're learning from, then you're going to honor those around you. Paul is telling the Philippian believers that he hopes to send Timothy. And the reason why is because he wants them to receive Timothy in the same way they've received and loved on him. Treat people with respect. Acts 28 and 10 says this, They also honored us in many ways, and when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. Listen, that's one of the reasons why we here at Vertigris Assembly are treating our guests with respect. That's why we honor our guests at the beginning of every service. Because we believe in giving our guests respect. Why do we do that? Because we believe in a culture of honor. We want to honor people. But pastor, they've never been here before and I've been here my whole life. Listen, we treat people with honor and respect because that's what God wants from us. And if we will do that, we build a culture of honor and generosity and respect of spirit. And guess what? That rises, that makes all the boats rise. If you'll love others as they come in, then guess what? Somebody's going to love you. (laughs) It causes everyone to rise up. And so if other people are valued by God, then guess what? Then they will be valued by us as well. If they're valued by God, then we need to value them as well. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 17 and 18 says this. I'm glad about the coming of Stephanus. Boy, some of these people had some hard names. Fortunatus and Achaeus, for what was lacking on your part, they supplied. For they refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge such men. You know, I've experienced this week in our revival a real refreshing. But let me tell you something. You say, well, don't you every revival? Yes, to some degree. But I told Rebecca this week, a lot of times what happens to staff and those who are involved in the leadership of the church is during a revival, that's one of the most tired times that you have all year. Not kidding. I mean, it is physically and spiritually something that can be very draining. And it's something that can just real. I mean, you go home at night and you're just like, I mean, as soon as you sit down, right? I mean, you're just exhausted. And, and at one point, at sometimes your kids, pastor's kids, y'all just have to understand, you say, we're having revival. And they're like, revival? <laughs> really? Do we have to go to church? I mean, it, come on. 
How many understands? It can be really long. It can be something. It can, and so, but this week, I told Rebecca, I said, I'm tired, but I feel refreshed. Come on. Right? Listen, I believe there's a spirit of honor and refreshing when God is moving, where God wants to refresh his people. And guess what you do when you honor others? You refresh them. You refresh them. You honor them and it refreshes you. And at Vertigris Assembly, there should be a culture of honor that affects all people that, w- that come to our church because people who are growing in their relationship with Jesus are worthy of recognition and encouragement and love and honor. So if you see someone that comes to church and you see them growing in their relationship with Jesus, you know what you need to do? You need to say, hey, I saw that. I see this in you. You've been becoming more faithful to church, and I'm proud of you. You need to tell someone, you know what? I've seen you bringing your Bible, or I've seen you reading the Word, or I've heard this about your family. I want you to know I'm proud of you. You know what? It's like lightning bolts shooting through their soul. (laughs) If you'll just encourage someone else. Can we be more encouraging? Say amen. People who are growing in their relationship with Jesus deserve honor. As people who are following Jesus, we should recognize and give respect when it is due to others who are leading. I want to invite our worship team to come to the front. I don't know about you, but I desire to encourage, I desire to share encouragement and love with people who deserve it, to lift others up. And there's a lot of leaders that are in this room that need your encouragement from time to time. And you'd say, well, pastor, how do I know that? The reason why you know that is because you need it too. There are times in your life when you've come into church and the only thing that you could think about was the down part of life and what had been happening and how hard it was and how difficult it was and what you needed was just somebody to come up and wrap their arm around you and say, hey, it's going to be okay. You're going to make it. I'm proud of you. I see this and I see this to encourage you. So if you've needed that in your life, then somebody else needs it in their life. So our job is to look for those people and find them. As people who are following Jesus, we should recognize that in other leaders. In July of 2004, there were 12 soldiers that were flying home from Iraq that were on a a two-week leave. Before one of those soldiers boarded the plane, there was a passenger that walked up to the front desk and he traded his first class ticket for that soldier's coach ticket. Said, I want to switch places with him. I want him to sit in first class. As the plane then began to board, other passengers in first class began to ask to trade up their first class seats so that they could sit in coach that were occupied by the remaining soldiers until all 12 soldiers were now sitting in first class. The Villa Evans flight attendant on the American Airlines flight from Atlanta to Chicago said this, I was so privileged to be flying with these two groups of unselfish people. 
She said, here you have these kids who are putting their lives on the line to protect our freedom. And here are those people who gave up their seats that are usually fought over. You really have to have a large heart to do something like that. What was that all about? That was about respecting someone who was leading. That was about honoring someone who was leading the way. How many of you realize this morning that there are some soldiers of the cross that deserve respect and that deserve our honor? Do you believe that? There's some people around you. Now you come into church and you look at them and you say, Oh, there's David, there's Jared, there's Phyllis, there's Tom, Janice, there's... And you say, there's Rodney. And we, we look at their names. We say their names. We say, hey, there's, there's what's their name. And we talk to them. But if you were to look a little deeper, you would see and you would understand that that's, not, that's their name, but that's not who they are. Who they really are is a soldier of the cross. They're a soldier of the cross. They deserve your honor. They don't deserve your honor above God. But because you are a servant of God, they deserve your honor and your encouragement and your love. Because that's what God has designed us to do, to lift one another up, to encourage one another. There are some soldiers of the cross who need your encouragement. Do you believe that? Would you stand with me this morning? I want to ask you this morning, if you would say, Pastor Michael, I'm here today. And as a leader, I believe it's God's desire and His design for me to love on and encourage and to show honor to those who are leading around me. And I believe God wants me to do that better than I ever have before. If you would say, Pastor, that's me. I want to do that better than I want to ask you to come to the front this morning. Can you do that? You say, I want to be better. I didn't say you had to be the best. I said, if you would say, Pastor, I want to be better at showing honor, I want to invite you to come. I want to invite you to come. Come on. This is a part of our learning this morning. Remember, as a leader, we're supposed to learn. How many of you believe we can be better this morning? Just come and gather around this front. Some of you are asking a a question in your mind. How am I supposed to do that? What is the practical step in order to be better? All it takes many times for us to change is not some grand scheme. Okay, the problem that we have with our life changing is most of the time we think when, when someone asks our life about our life changing, we think, in terms of everything has to change. No. In order for you to be better tomorrow than you were today, do you know what has to change? How many things have to change? Just one. Just one thing. Just one decision. Just one choice. Just being intentional about one person. So when we leave this place, even maybe before you leave this place, Maybe when you 
walk out and you go to Walmart today or you go to that restaurant. You know, we were at a restaurant yesterday and I'm picking on Becca, but we were at a restaurant yesterday and there was this last night and there was this whole group of people and they were griping and complaining and they had been waiting for a long time. But, but you know, it wasn't anybody's fault. There was really nothing they could do. The restaurant was packed to capacity and this poor guy was sitting up there and he was taking names and, and he was just... And he was doing this and people were coming up and ripping him and griping at him and saying things two feet away from him as if he couldn't hear it. They were saying it on purpose out loud and in order just to be mean. And you know how people can be. And this one lady came and, and she literally griped about it. And then she tried to take her griping away. How many ever heard that? And then she just stood there. Just stood there, just staring at him as if he were supposed to do, just making him nervous. And anyway, we finally got to our point and, and where our name was called, our buzzer rang. And, and so we were walking and this, the gentleman who had been doing that, he, um, he actually seated us and Becca looked at him and she said, you know what? She said, I wouldn't want to have your job. And he just looked up still flustered and she said, but you sure are great at doing it. And I thought, wow, that's my wife. I mean, the smile came to his face. It encouraged him. He had a new confidence in his step. When he walked back, he could face the world. I thought he might slap that one. No, I'm just kidding. But how many of you understand that encouragement does a lot? Honor does a lot. All it takes, look, it's just one choice. It's just one choice. That was honoring someone. It's just one choice. So as you become intentional about making one choice, then guess what? You will naturally begin to respond to other people in a way that honors as you get used to doing it more often. But it's just about one choice. You don't have to change everything. Just about one choice. So I want you to begin to think, we're going to pray that God is going to open up an opportunity for us this week that we every day can make a choice to honor someone intentionally and to bless them and that God is going to open up that opportunity and not only open it up, but we're going to have the confidence to step through that door to do it, right? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, those that have come and also those that are still in their seat. God, that are right now making a decision through the submission to your will. First of all, God, because you are our ultimate leader. And you set the example for us of servanthood. Lord, and you set the example for us of loving one, uh, others who were around you, who surrounded you. And because of your example and what you've done in us, your spirit now lives in us. So help us, God, not to walk in the flesh, but help us to walk in the Spirit. And God, I believe that there's an opportunity that's going to be opened up for each one every single day. And Lord, we're going to look for those opportunities and intentionally our life is going to begin to change because of one decision, because of one choice that we're going to begin to make where we begin to encourage and we begin to honor and we begin to love and we begin to lift up those that are around us.
I pray, God, for the spirit of encouragement, the spirit of honor. God, to just be something that is prevalent here at Vertigris Assembly. When people walk into this room, help it to be the friendliest, most thoughtful place that anybody goes all week long. And when they enter into this place, help them to feel lifted up. And not just people that are here every week, but God, people that come for the first time. Let them walk in and understand, wow, there's something different about this place. I didn't sit all alone without anyone coming and talking to me, but I walked in and people approached me and they loved on me and they encouraged me and they helped me and they honored me. Lord, I thank you that we can see so many examples of your love from other people, but help us to lead. God, you've built godly leaders. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to continue to honor you and to serve you as we walk out of this place in every way. Thank you for your blessing.